episode of the game podcast uh i'm your host jerry thompson here with me are uh andrew brown and michael majors between the three of us we are two gold level pros and one platinum level pro and today we have our first guest i was told that i must introduce him like this daddy what's up what's up kevin how's it going so kevin jones is longtime listener to the show at least he says <laughs> he said something to me that was like uh, along the lines of like, man, you know, I hope that I do well in a tournament, so you guys want to have me on, and he just won the SCG Dallas Modern Open with Grixis Delver, so like, obviously we, we had to have him on, and Kevin is great, so uh, what's going on, Kevin? Well, not much, just looking over my list right now, checking out the, uh, the, the, the all these one-ofs, these fun-ofs over here. Pretty whirlwind, though, like, I haven't won a tournament in almost two years, so... It, it was pretty, well, I mean, like a big tournament or whatever. Yeah, so I, I think I'm right there with you, too. I haven't really won anything either, but, you know, occasionally nice things happen. So uh, people might be wondering, Daddy, why why the nickname? What is that? Where did that come from? I don't think I've ever heard this story from you because I was just like, no, I don't want to hear it because it can't be as good as just the nickname itself. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how to explain. It's like the ideal will never live up to the idol, right? So like that's why you didn't want to know. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly it. Okay, so the the abridged and PG thirteen version. Actually, I'm not sure that I can tell you any of this story <laughs> on any reasonable podcast. I just realized that. Hmm. I thought about this again. I don't know if I can actually say this. So maybe maybe this will just build on the myth of the nickname. Yeah, that's probably we probably should have gone over that before before we started. I didn't realize that was going to happen. No, that's okay. I actually kind of like it better this way. In all honesty, oh, I love it. This is perfect. It's definitely better like this. I, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, we're like two and a half minutes in, and you're already just like, I need to know about the nickname. So maybe maybe if you see Kevin in a tournament, you know, walk up to him, ask him about the nickname. I'll give and... the most like abridged version possible just to build a little hype. Basically, my girlfriend and I shared an apartment with her friend and her friend's boyfriend, and to troll them, I started calling myself daddy around the apartment. I'd be like, you know, daddy's not going to do the dishes he's got other things to do or daddy daddy's not taking out the garbage you need to learn how to take care of yourself that that type of thing and i just did that for a while and then like a month later i won an open and i was like well if it ain't broke so i just gave myself the nickname and that that there's a lot more to it but that that's basically the gist of it all right so if if you want the details people should find you in person yeah and i'll tell the whole long story that would make you walk away or whatever beautiful okay so right now i'm gonna walk away effectively and <laughs> move on to the next thing so like you're you're on this team mgg metagame gurus and you guys basically just killed the tournament and i was like you know all, all you guys are pretty good uh you're, you're especially like pretty good in modern like your results i think are better in that format than any other format and i was like maybe they just had a good weekend or whatever and then i looked at the open i was like looking at the standings and stuff and i was like wait how many people are in this tournament because the page was so huge and it, there was like a thousand people in the tournament. I guess it capped out. And to me, that is just like insane thing to do. Like not only just like win a thousand person open, but to like put almost your entire team in the top eight is insane. So tell us about your team. Like basically how did it start? Why did you start it? And how did you decide like who was going to be on the team? There's two guys 
Their names are Frank and Rick. They're uh, magic players from Long Island, and they have wives and and serious jobs and, and lives and stuff like that. But they're very passionate about the game, and they've played since they were young, and it's basically what, uh, you know, one of the things that fueled their friendship. They've been, you know, they've been good friends for years and years. And they, uh, they really loved um, the idea of making professional magic. They, they'd see, because, you know, being financially stable when you have, like, a, a, a real deal job like that, you, you definitely look at, like, the people who are grinding, like, week to week and doing, like, that type of thing way differently than than you would, you know, when you're in it. So, like, there's a different perspective there, if you know what I'm saying, right? For sure. So, like, and, and they were just like, what would it be like if you didn't... Are you guys still there? Sorry. Hello? Yeah, we're good, man. Okay, my computer went to sleep and I panicked. We're cool. It's okay. We're good. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we should not edit this out at yeah, all. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave a note for Connor. Do not edit this out. This is... <laughs> I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna step in here for a second. Uh, we're we're starting about an hour late after schedule, and I am gonna say that Kevin Jones is notoriously late for things. Uh, at least according to his friends, uh, one of the things he said to me was like, uh, "I think we're in trouble." Like my cat just like took down my internet. That happened. So yeah, this this has just been a treat so far. A couple minutes after the cat took down my internet, I replugged the internet in. And it was when you couldn't hear me right with the mic check. And I look over towards the, the cables and the cat is just there laying on his back, like belly in the air, just grilling me, just like looking right at me. Just like, <laughs> yeah, man, I messed up your life and there's not a thing you can do about it. And that's that. Just like staring me down. Love oh, his name is Jace, by the way. So I wonder where that name came from. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he's, your, your cat sounds like the real daddy. Yeah, he, he basically runs he runs this place. But yeah, so so back okay, to the story. So, so back to the team. These guys just thought that it would be really interesting if you could take good players and you could allow them to play where their livelihood or their ability to continue to play and thus happiness wasn't attached to the results. So you didn't have to be so invested in ways other than um you just had to be invested in in like in non like magic preparing ways in like oh, I hope that, like, I can afford to do this in my life, or I hope that, like, this is not at the cost of other things, or blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, Cedric's talked about this a lot before, too. Yeah, definitely, and it, it's it's also weird, right, because it's like, you take, you take that load off your shoulders, it allows you to focus on actually just playing, and you guys have actually just been killing it, so, like, I would not be surprised if that was a big it, it's part It's a of huge it. part of it, like, the, the amount of pressure that, that has been, uh, you know, relieved from me, especially, you know, working, like, I work part-time at a card store, but outside of that, like, there were years when I, I just did did magic only, and, like, I think that, that there's, a, that's, there's a degree of irresponsibility there, and I'm definitely not condemning anyone who does do that. The goal is to get to where you guys are, or, you know, um, where some of the content producers are, where you can monetize or brand, your, brand yourself and monetize it that way. So, like, that's part of, like, the escalation of it, is that uh, they wanted to choose people who already had a base, you know, who already had a name about themselves. And Pete is the lone exception in that regard, because Pete, like, uh, was, you know, a ringer in the, he's got a GP top eight and he was a ringer in like the Northeast PDQ scene, but nobody really like knew who he was on like a, like a nationwide scale or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just a quiet guy. He's not super big on like self-promotion and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've known Pete for years yeah, for sure. and to, to me, he's, he's also, he's just been very good throughout this entire time. But yeah, he is, he's definitely one of the ringers for sure. But yeah, so these guys wanted to pick people with a base and they wanted to start from there and they wanted to uh, form a website, and the website would allow people to subscribe to the website, and they would receive, like, coaching. So, like, the name Metagame Guru is literally what they want us to do. Like, they want us to, um, 
you know, to it would we provide coaching, we provide updates like tweaks week to week on people's decks, and they can send their decks in. And if they subscribe, they can send their deck in, and they'll get like a an update every week so that they can go to their PPDQs or whatever they're, they're doing on a small week to week scale and say, you know, ahead of the curve or whatever you want to call it. And like that's one function of it. And the other thing is they saw a totally untapped market in basically like what can only really be described as one on one coaching. They wanted to open up that type of idea. And I'm just going to let you guys like, uh, you know, bounce off how you feel about that real quick b- before we go back into it. Uh, just on the coaching specifically? Yeah, or? like why has nobody done that before? Because, I mean, people definitely think about it. It's a thing that happens with like Hearthstone and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, part of the problem is that coaching, I think, is pretty expensive. You know, like if, if I were to do it, I, I would want to get, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 to $50 an hour mm-hmm. because it's tough work, right? But you're not even necessarily going to see the returns from that as the person who is being coached because there's not a ton of money in magic. Also, it's not exactly quantifiable, like the results. Like you can improve and you cannot have a direct financial impact of your improvement, which I could understand that being like a like a fail spot for some people. That makes any sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it is tough to spend like a few hundred dollars, maybe even like a thousand dollars on coaching and then just like you know, have, have nothing to really show for it at the end of it. And it's like, you're, you're not really sure how much you're going to get out of each session and, and stuff like that. So I can understand how it's not something that people are necessarily willing to pay for, but I like what you guys are doing as far as doing other things alongside of yeah. it, as far as just like, oh, you know, send in your deck list and we'll help you update this like week to week. Mm-hmm. And I really like the yeah, idea of that. So we, with the coaching not being the sole focus of it and basically it just being a team that has these ways through the website, like to ultimately go from like getting uh, money from sponsors and partners and that type of thing to uh, ultimately the website, you know, sustaining itself and allowing the, the, mo- the monster to grow even bigger or so to speak, I guess is the goal. When you see people crushing week to week, tweaking their deck week to week, like uh, always being, you know, on top of stuff, much like you, you were um, a good example of like, what I think the the website would want to get people to try to emulate is like you in like the Callblade era when you were, you know, changing two sure. to three cards every week and just destroying people over and over. And like, why did he do that? And then like, it would be apparent when you were just like eons ahead of your opponent in a mirror and it would all start to come together like a web. You know, Magic players can do that if they put the effort into it. But like, that's the type of thing where it, if you're, you're attacking a metagame, Literally uh, almost every weekend, like we, we are on the SCG tour, we're the, definitely the people like to ask about that type of thing. So that's pretty much where the idea came from. You know, we're going to have a ton of reps every weekend, so we're definitely going to be prepared to give out this information. And consequently, people are going to be incentivized to want the information because we're repeatedly performing well because we have less stresses on us outside of the actual games, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it, I, I feel like this weekend is especially a pretty big indicator. Like I said, I mean, putting putting four of your five guys in top eight is already pretty insane, but just doing that in a thousand-person tournament, too, is just pretty unbelievable. Yeah, like, so many things can go wrong without, like, you actually even doing anything wrong. Like, that's the crazy thing about Magic. Like, you can do everything right and just, like, brick or whatever, and, like, you can be very good, like, and still have that happen, and, like, that didn't happen... Four of the five of us, like, not enough things went wrong with, like, a, a thousand people and all these variables and stuff, and it's still, like, it's crazy. I just thought it's insane that it happened that way, you know? I, I like how humble you're being. You know, it is it is nice, but at the same time, it's just, like, you, you guys are all very good. I feel like 
every weekend has like one or two of you in the top eight and this was just like ah we all made it this time i think i think you might be selling yourself a little bit short you know i mean you guys are very clearly performing very well and uh, i think this weekend is just an indicator of things to I, come. yeah this weekend is definitely an indicator of hopefully of things to come but of i guess a tenet would be the word of the modern format being like play what you know or it rewards what you know it rewards the styles that you know it rewards uh, the decks that you know, like that type of thing, because like Andrew just had like, he just got infect like nailed right down and he just basically can't lose. And Pete just destroys with the Jeskai deck every time he plays it. Like, J you know, Jim just watched Pete, got the reps in, played it online, that type of thing. Dan like, you know, absorbed from Andrew to play his infect deck. He got top 32, by the way, which is, you know, not terrible either. So like, that, right. that's great. And then I just played like a pile of Grixis cards and I'm sure you can empathize with that because I love doing that. I certainly can. Majors too, of course. Like majors. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I actually think you guys are, are kind of selling yourselves short, like despite the fact that you had this incredible weekend, like since uh, you guys started at the beginning of Shadows Over Innistrad standard. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we, we tested together for SCG Baltimore, but we didn't have the jerseys in the launch. The launch was in Milwaukee. Gotcha. And, and then, like, you know, Jim won that open, and then I think you guys have basically had someone in the top eight or win every weekend since, which is, like, insane. The statistic that we heard was that we've played seven opens together as a team, whether officially or unofficially, and we've won three of them? Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. For, for such a small team, that's you incredible. You can't super quote me on that. It could have been eight or something like that, but whatever. It's, it's still pretty insane, right? Yeah, of course. And also, like, three finals appearances, I think? It's, it would be five finals appearances, right? Because Andrew versus Pete, Andrew lost. Andrew versus me, Andrew lost. Jim versus white humans, Andrew or Jim won. So there's five finals appearances. Five to okay, sure, gotcha. And uh, three wins in seven tournaments. Whoa. A couple things that I'm wondering. The, the first one is, like, how, how often do you guys actually get together and play test? Or, like, you know, basically, like, what is your week-to-week? -week? Because... I, I could envision a world where, you know, you're just, like, kind of chatting about stuff, especially for something like Modern, yeah. where, you know, the format is just kind of what it is, not much has changed, and there are so many decks, it's hard to, like, actually get reps in testing. So, like, you know, how, how much do you guys test, and does it vary format to format? Oh, it absolutely varies format to format. Sometimes you just play, you just play whatever in Modern, because, like, a lot of us have played the decks that we've played for a while now, and, like, you're not exactly going to, like, tip someone over to your deck without, like, them putting a lot of work in to pick it up because like if you have if you have basically no base like i mean i love this grixis delver deck and i was trying to to tell people that i thought it was really good also you have to kind of play it in a certain way and you can't really pick it up cold and just play it you know you have the experience with the deck so yeah basically uh we try to get together in person before most standard opens if it's like two standard opens in a row we might not you know test in person for the second one we might just take what we learned and work on it we play some magic online uh, leading up to Orlando, we, we all played some Magic Online. We tested in person. Um, the guys all live in Long Island, and I live uh, like two hours north. So sometimes they try to do a weekly testing session in person. And I've been down there like, I mean, we've been a team for, what has it been, like three months now? I've been down there like four times. Okay. So, and then we had like Baltimore where we got a hotel a day early. 
and just like grinded it out in the lobby for 10 hours, which was really cool. It felt like we were preparing for a pro tour. I like that plan too. That sounds really cool to me where, you know, if you are separated by distance, you know, there there's certainly a lot of merit to actually just getting to the tournament a day early and spending a day together. Yeah, we talked about like once you relieve like some of the financial pressures that people have going to these things, like it opens up a lot of doors for people. And it's it, it's kind of frustrating that with Matt, even magic is like a richer get richer type of thing where like the better you get and the more you win, like the more opportunities you have. And, and that type of thing, I guess, just makes it like kind of the status quo as opposed to an exception to it. But basically, like, you can afford to get there a day early. You can take care of that stuff. You don't have as many expenses. And then you can just focus on ironing out the format and crushing it, finding a way to attack it or whatever. Awesome. Do you feel like this is a sustainable model? Like, do you feel like that more people could actually, like, pick up and start doing what you guys are doing? Basically, like, emulate you and your model? And Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it will. I mean, I think it will happen before the end of the year, at least once or twice with other teams. The, see, the thing about, like... Magic teams, and I—it's just—it seems like a lot of them are very loosely organized. The idea of this was to like these guys who founded the team are like businessmen by trade, and like they wanted to treat it like a business. It's an LLC, like it's incorporated, like it's—it's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, this is this is serious stuff. It's nothing that I've ever you know been a part of before, and and that's awesome in that regard. I just think that it's the right approach. You could see other people trying to emulate it. You'll also see like people trying to just make a team of pretty good players. And then you'll realize that like some personalities clash and like, uh, you know, people bang heads or whatever. And then it kind of loosely falls apart, maybe fractures into two smaller teams or what have you. Something like that. That happens all the time. But like with us, we just kind of have to like, if we have differences or whatever, we really have to like work through them because... It's like a job. When you go, you're going. You you got you got to go. Like you got to go to the tournament. That's what you're doing. It's paid for, but like you got to you got to you know you got to do your part too and give your all. So like you also can't phone things in anymore. Like I I mean we've all played tournaments like less than adequately prepared, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> That's something that you do less. So it's not all. You know, not everything just gets like better without any sort of changes, but you, you, you got to iron out some stuff of your own personality and stuff to like make it work. But it, it's definitely a great thing. I think people can do it. And I think that having like a way to sustain yourself outside of actual magic is the best way to make it like a wide, a large scale successful thing. Like, I think the website model is the right model to have. I mean, it, I guess it could be like articles or something like that. But I mean, there's other people doing that who are doing it very well. So like, we didn't want to fight anyone on that axis. So yeah, we, we you, you, that, you're like, finding your own niche, which I think is really valuable. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I work part-time at a card store, and it's like, oh, is this a conflict of interest with your job? And I'm like, well, I mean, we're not selling anything that, like, the card store is selling, you know? So, like, it, it's kind of hard to say that it is, right? You're not a competitor. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that's what some people are, are like, oh, we're just going to, like, eventually just be a card store. Well, no, like, it's just going to be, like, something that hasn't existed before. Love it. So... Andrew, what do you think about this? You're you're on a team, like you're you're deeply invested. Uh, I'm I'm kind of unaffiliated. Michael's playing PT Sydney with Eureka for the first time. So like, why doesn't East West Bowl do something like this? Well, the core goal in mind for East West Bowl is not to. It's not a money making sort of endeavor. It's more individual focused. The reason we are with other people is because we think that they have skills or they have, you know, magical resources that. I don't have. So we work together and the goal is all individual. Like I want to win the pro tour. Like that is my goal. It is going to be helpful for me to test with these other smart people. And that is it. 
that's normally the convention we've been using is just we're using each other because we're we know we are skilled at magic and we're just trying to confer together and find out the best way to attack it it's not necessarily based on like coaching or whatever but you know we're, we're trying to build a brand but the main goal is always just to succeed at the pro tour i think that you're probably completely right in approaching it that way and i think that when you have a team with like a huge pedigree like you guys have i think it just kind of like the brand builds itself like all you guys needed was those hoodies like it's just insane it's awesome like th- those hoodies like are a perfect thing for you guys because like they make you recognizable and they also like make it like recognizable as like a, a cohesive thing but also recognizable as like an individualized thing because like you know each coast has their color or whatever so like it says that like oh you know we're still true to like our magic roots, either West Coast or East Coast, but we're also, like, coming together for, like, this greater cause. So I think that, like, you know, the vision of East-West Bowl, like, while it's not necessarily the same as MGG, like, it's just still a great product in its own right, you know? To me, the, the difference is, like, the, the Pro Tour teams and Metagame Gurus is, is kind of, like, the strict distinction between, like, short-term and long-term. Sure. Like, Andrew touched on, it's, like, personal endeavors because, like, you know, it's so important for a person to acquire pro points at these very specific tournaments so they can stay on the train, so they can stay on this team, so they can stay working with their friends. This is kind of what Kevin has been touching on is like the pressure of the individual tournament is kind of off. I mean, not that it's not important to perform, but like yeah. you're not forced to perform. Exactly. Whereas at the pro tour, like you have to acquire pro points like at every tournament. Exactly. Like we're focusing on like a process while they're focusing on like the actual like immediate impact. Like then there needs to be like immediate results from like their process. Whereas our process is kind of just about the process. It sounds like kind of a weird way to word it, but yeah, I get it. Uh, it but, but can you do both? You know, that's kind of what I'm interested in. Like you, you guys are doing the SCG tour, which I think is smart just because you know, their cash tournaments, uh, they even have the Players' Championship at the end of the year, which, like, man, you guys you guys are actually looking pretty good for that. Yeah, I was getting worried. Uh, now yeah. I feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, well, now now you want to know who's worried? Tom Ross. Scary, being chased by three crazy people in yellow jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's more like four or five, but yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, could... could could either East West Bull not do this for like Grand Prix and PTs or like, could you guys also not do this for, for GPs and PTs? Like I, I do think the SCG tour is a little bit better for what you guys are trying to do just because it's like you go, you show up, you get like, you know, your, your $2,000 or whatever your averages per <laughs> yeah. weekend. And, and then you just go home and like count your stacks of money, you know, but like, are there, are there any aspirations to like, you know, try and do other stuff? I mean, there's definitely an end game. And, like, part of us performing is that they don't always want us to know, like, the total endgame because they just want to dilute, like, the, the immediate vision. They, you know, they're, they're businessmen, and they're, like, they're, they understand how to manage people. So they're just like, hey, like, you guys are doing great at what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing, you know? I think we could do it for – it would work similarly for Grand Prix. The issue with Grand Prix is that it's easier to be a face in the crowd. They're generally much bigger events. The thing about the SCG Tour is that they have a special – talent for branding their or for building the brands of their successful players and for making them like marketable to a degree that you're going to be in or like you're going to want to come up to these people and like approach them at events and like i don't know that grand prix facilitate that and i don't think the pro tour facilitates that because i don't think there's like fans at the pro tour i think fans are really really important for like the mgg vision and the Pro Tour just doesn't really have fans literally at the event. And I think at the event, you're like 
a huge advertisement in a way, and you don't really get to do that at the Pro Tour, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. It's 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 not a secret that WotC coverage and just everything about the Pro Tour is not marketed to its full potential. Yeah. But that's a conversation for something else. I mean, it's, it's a lot about the cards and less about the people. I think the SCG Tour is just like, you know, kind of relying on the people to sell the cards. Yeah, it, it, oh, that makes perfect sense. It's it's just like a, a chicken or the egg or egg or the chicken type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, I think you want to promote the people because it's like, oh man, I want to see I want to see what the daddy's playing this week, you know. And then it's like you take down the turn with Delver, and then people are just like, dude, I want to do what the daddy's doing. Yeah, if you, you know, if you listen to like Wizards coverage versus SCG coverage, it's like you hear SCG coverage, you hear like Jerry Thompson does it again, and then Wizards coverage, you hear like. Wow, Dragonlord Ojutai is really good, and like you're right. obviously selling something different than they are. You know what I'm saying? Yep. All right. Well, I guess we should probably talk about your deck a little bit, since you know you did win this thousand-person tournament with a deck that I think a lot of people would say is just not real. Delver has been, you know, solidly tier two. If if you want to talk about tier system or whatever, yeah. Ryan Overturf recently made the top eight of an open with it, and your list emulates his deck a lot. I think I don't know how much you actually talked to him or not, but how how did you win the tournament with this deck? Uh, the the number one thing is familiarity. Basically, I just played like at my local shop. We had Wednesday night modern. We get like a, a decent turnout, like five rounds, twenty some people or whatever. And I just played this cool little Grixis Delver deck that Ryan top eighted the open with every week after he top eighted the open. Pete okay. won the open with Jeskai, and like I got back and four days later played the Grixis deck, and then I just played it every single week from there on out. If I didn't day two at an open, I'd be like, oh, guys, I'm so stoked to play Grixis in the Classic. And then the one time I did, I just like 3-3'd, and they're like, yeah, that deck is terrible. <laughs> and be like... I, see, I... I thought I thought this was gonna be a story about how like man you never you never ended up like missing out on day two and this was just like daddy's best kept secret just like waiting to bust it out on well, the, the world but the way I is, lost it was I, I I didn't put too much stock in you know one event I lost to one of the Kiefer kids he just blood mooned me t a bunch and I just died I like didn't expect to get blood mooned even though he blood mooned me game one I probably should have expected it he like blood mooned me I won anyway he like killed me with thing in the ice and I'm just like. Yeah, I'm not prepared for this matchup. Like, I don't understand what just happened. Well, it's it, again, it's familiarity, right? Like, you you have not tested against Jack Kiefer's Blue Moon deck, right? So I'm usually fighting like uh, Blue Mirrors on like an attrition axis, and when they have cards that like shut off, like you know, multiple cards in your hand, like that's just not a war that the de deck is equipped to fight. I also like couldn't find a counter squall, and the booth didn't have one. So I played a Stubborn Denial instead, and then, like, my opponent played Prismatic Omen out of Escape Shift deck, and I didn't have a Tassiger in play, and I couldn't Stubborn Denial it, and I lost. So you top it, you top it, did it, were you, uh, like, 12-2-1? Yeah, I was 12-2-1. There's a funny story that I must, I must add if we're going to talk about the deck. I, I missed my flight. That's the story. Was it because you were late? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I didn't try to be late. Like, I wanted to go. I, I, I wanted to go to the tournament. It's what I'm supposed to do. I was, like, a little disillusioned with my performance in recent events. Basically just wished I could have taken it off, but, like, wasn't doing that and was, like, uh, frustrated and had a random, like, recreational sports injury. It was, like, moving really slow on Friday morning. Ended up getting stuck in some really bad traffic and, like, the shuttle from the, you know, from the parking garage to the airport took, like, longer than it should have. And all those things added up to me being, like, 
30 minutes before departure instead of an hour and 10 minutes before departure, and I just, like, didn't make my flight. So then what? Was flying standby on the next flight, and apparently they called my name three times and then refused to give me a seat, and I was just, like, 100 yards away and didn't hear it once. Then the woman was like, hey, I'm feeling nice. I'm going to rebook you direct. You're not connecting through Charlotte anymore. You can just go from... (laughs) Here to Dallas, and your flight leaves in two hours. Have a nice day. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I can't not go at this point. And I, but the thing about that was I ended up getting in at, like, one in the morning. So, like, everyone's asleep. And, like, you know, get in, get smokes, like, you know, and I'm sure you get that. And, like, go to the store and everything. Get all the things I got to need for the weekend because I don't have a car. And then, like, finally get in, and I'm like, oh, man, my deck list is due. And it's, like, 2 a.m. And I'm like, all right, these guys are asleep. They can't stop me. I'm just going to play Grixis. <laughs> so I'm just like... <laughs> That's awesome. I can like poke Andrew, who I'm sharing a bed with, and get his Infect 75 that he's probably going to win the tournament with, or I can just play my Grixis deck because I like it and it's my it's and my beat pack. him in the finals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like I just registered it before they could wake up and stop me. And I mean, you played 61 cards once, and your justification was I'll do what I want. So it was kind of the similar thing. Don't don't do what I do, man. Do as I say. Yeah. <laughs> do, do not play 61. Listen uh, to the wisdom of your friends. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, sometimes you follow your heart and good things happen. The deck has got, it looks kind of like rough on paper sometimes, but it's got a lot of good matchups. The Delvers help you out a ton against anything green. The Delvers help you out a ton against anything where you need some sort of pressure with regards to, like, a time frame in the game. Because Grixis Control is great at not losing, but Grixis Control struggles when it needs to win within a reasonable time frame, like when another deck is forcing you to jump through hoops because they're doing bigger, scarier, over-the-top things, or they're fighting you on a completely different axis, like that's when Grixis Control faults. And you guys have both played enough Grixis to like, you probably agree with me there to a degree, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a ton of frame of reference with Grixis Control in general, and something that's always been a major issue is that you just have very little closing speed. You're kind of relying on like drawing a Tassiger, and at some point you might just have to like, deploy a snapcaster mage and just like start attacking for two because yep. you have to put your opponent on clock so i can definitely understand that you have a lot of good cards that like go up one in like the short term but then again like grixis control plays you know 22 to 24 lands so like all your cards that are going up one in the short term are eventually going to draw you more lands ultimately even though these cards like look like they say oh draw a card you know when remand uh Coligun's command gives you card advantage electrolyze gives you card advantage serum visions like fixes your draws eventually, like, you're just going to flood out at some point. Or, like, thought scour yourself so much that you have nothing left in your deck, or whatever. The Delver deck allows you to... It allows you to close the game within a, a, within a reasonable time frame, and it helps you a ton against stuff like uh, Banteldrazi, Scapeshift, Tron, the company decks to a degree. It lets you, you know, punish them for shocking themselves a bunch of times, or whatever. So I thought the deck had a ton of good matchups. I think the burn matchup, while it might look bad on paper is much better for this deck than it is for a traditional Grixis control deck. If they have to Searing Blaze a Delver, that's probably that seems like a fist pump, but like it just turns on your spell snares and it makes them cast something like on your terms, which is super important for your deck to do. To, to me, it seems like the major distinction here is that uh, Delver of Secrets plays extremely well with counter spells, mm-hmm. and Discard is like pretty weak in Modern right now. Yeah. So it actually makes sense that a deck that can be built to actually abuse counter spells more effectively might be better positioned. Pete was looking at my deck when we were sitting down in top four, and like they give out the deck list, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I just realized you don't have any discard spells in your deck." And like, I guess he might have been a little worried about the matchup. And he's like, "Oh wait, I'm playing like Jeskai Control, and he doesn't have any discard. Like, how can I lose?" 
And I'm like, oh, it's just like not about that. But like people just don't understand what this deck does sometimes, you know? Do you think you got a lot of leg up because people didn't quite understand what you were doing? Yeah, I'm like shock myself, get or fetch, shock, get steam vents, play Delver. And they're like, oh, and then four turns later, they're at like three and like struggling to stay in the game. And like they have stuff that I can't answer, but like they don't have the the longevity to to deploy it. It kind of like the same sort of uh, thought, like lines of thought that would make like Bant Company good in standard, which is funny because it's another deck that like I basically, you know, worked on or innovated or whatever. You don't have to answer everything, but like you can just answer. You have to you have to like answer enough things to kill them the turn before they kill you or whatever. And like, I won a lot of games where there were like reality smashers in play attacking me or like, you know, whatever in play, like Nahiri in play or something like that, whatever. Yeah, it's just a ton of different dimensions than Grixis normally has. And I feel really comfortable with the idea of Grixis in general. Given that um, more people have caught on to this deck or they see you winning this tournament with this deck, would you run it back in, let's say like a tougher field, like the Players Championship or um, an Invitational? An Invitational, I was actually thinking about this. I would probably err on the side of not playing the deck in an Invitational. I think that Invitationals specifically are events where there's a lot of mid-range interactive decks, you know, be it Jun decks or even some like Abzan Company decks. There's also a lot of like uh, blue decks. There's people trying to, you know, have the conventional, oh, outplay your opponent because you're playing a blue like decision-based deck. A lot of people think that way at Invitationals. So, like, I think Invitationals are a great tournament to deviate. I think a great Invitational deck would be something like Scapeshift because, like, it's just a little weird and, like, has a good matchup against a lot of mid-range decks. But, like, I probably wouldn't play this deck at uh, an Invitational because I don't feel like, like, an Abzan mid-range deck is a very good matchup. I don't think that Jeskai or a pure Grixis control deck, like, something with Kalidus is probably a bad matchup. That card seems kind of hard to kill. I could see playing it at, like, a Player's Championship just because, like, the actual decks people are going to pick are something that you could work on. And, like, you could play Grixis Delver at a player's championship, but, like, your deck would look very different than, you know, this one where it's, like, approaching a very wide metagame, whereas you were approaching a very narrow metagame with, like, the player's championship, if you know what I mean by that, right? This deck's just, like, built for max efficiencies, just lightning bolts terminates and, like, the best counter spells. Like, you're, you do the same thing every game. Like, yeah, you, you, you're playing four mana leaks, like... It's kind of brazen to play four Mana Leaks, but then when you realize that Mana Leak answers everything from, like, a lethal Rift Bolt to, like, Karn Liberated, then you feel pretty good about having Mana Leak in your deck, you know? I, I certainly, like, as I played traditional Grixis Control more and more, like, my Mana Leaks went from, like, zero to two to three, and, like, eventually it was just, like, the only counter spell I was playing, so I can definitely commiserate with that feeling. The rest of the deck is, like you said, it's just really efficient, like... The cantrips, you have to keep the cantrip count reasonably high so that you can hit your land drops in a 20 land deck. But the, the thing about Delver that, that is not, you know, it's not one of the most assumed face, or one of the things you'd see at face value, Delver is kind of like a scry effect. If you really need to draw a land, you could like flip your Delver and then thought scour yourself or whatever. Like you can do stuff like that all the time. I kept uncracked fetches in play to flip my Delvers and like, yeah. I don't know. It just gives you a lot of decisions, and they were decisions that I'd been making for a long time and felt super comfortable making, so all of that like kind of facilitated the deck being built the way it was. I mean, again, it's just more about the modern format where you just have to play what you're most familiar with. Yep. I do have a couple questions about your deck, though. Um, I noticed you have three Tasker, one Gurmag Angler. Did you ever have any trouble with having too many Tasker's or the, the legendary rule being a problem? So I only own two Tassigers, and 
when I was playing the deck locally, I was playing two and two, and I liked the two and two, and then I, you know, borrowed a Tassiger because that's what you do when you go to a bigger tournament, and I borrowed a Tassiger for the Classic, and then it was always in my hand when I had one in play, and I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy, I should just play two and two. Uh, I just went back to the three and one because I was worried about the, uh, the mana. Like, I think the one extra mana is super, it's super important to play a Delve Creature on turn two a lot. If you don't have a Thought Scour, that's almost impossible most of the time. Having a Thought Scour and a Tassiger, like, virtually ensured that you could play it on turn two. So I just thought that Tassiger was, like, one of the best cards in the deck, so I really didn't want to keep it at three. But I, I, I definitely entertained the two and two split, and I think it's justifiable in some regards, but maybe you go up a land? No, I'd probably keep it at three one. But it's definitely yeah. something I considered. The other interesting thing I thought was, you know how in the past, Grixis became a deck because of the advent of Kolagon's Command, but you're only playing one in your deck and one in your sideboard. Mm -hmm. um, like most of the Grixis decks, like I know that the Corey Burkhart GPLA Grixis deck had four Kolagon's Commands in it. Like four Cryptic Commands and it's just and like, yeah. Yeah, well, he's a maniac. Anyways, uh, <laughs> tell us about your one Cryptic Command only. Or one Kolagon's Command. One Kolagon's Command, yeah, yeah. sorry. You often find that when you have, like, a deck that's built with, like, a tempo strategy in mind, and this deck is because it's playing Delver and, you know, a lot of cheap spells, like, you, you want to be able to take the, uh, you know, take back the play, I guess is a, a good way to phrase it, like, play two spells in one turn to get ahead when you were previously behind, because sometimes you have to spend, like, the first couple turns, like, either using something like Spell Snare to fight off an Onslaught, or, like, uh, using Serum Visions to ensure that you're going to make your first couple land drops, and, like, if you're doing something like that, it's easy to fall behind on the board, and, like, that does happen often. So, like, it's good to be able to go, like, Tassiger plus Lightning Bolt, or Tassiger plus Mana Leak for their answer, which stabilizes the board. Kolagon's Command costing three is, like, a huge liability in that regard. And oftentimes, the two-for-one pull you back into the game, and I have really considered going up to a second one, but I played an Electrolyze main deck instead because I was really worried about hitting land drops, and I thought once you got to three lands... If you could get the fourth one, like, that made you so much more... Uh, it turns on your Snapcaster Mages for things other than Lightning Bolt. You know, just a lot of different stuff. So I just thought that the deck played really well when it had, like, four or five lands in play. And hitting that land drop was good, so I added another cantripping card. But, like, you could play the second Colligan's Command in the Electrolyze slot, and I wouldn't call you crazy. You also could play it in the in the Dreadbore slot, and I, it's justifiable as well. But, like, I think you really only need one. If you aim it, like, or if you time it carefully, like, it'll get back a Snapcaster Mage, and then you'll Snapcaster it and get back a Snapcaster Mage, and then your opponent's dead. Yeah, so something that I've always taken away from more aggressively slanted decks like this is it that they're way better at, like, leveraging these, like, actually powerful, like, hammer use spells, like Colgan's Command, because, like, you've actually put pressure on your opponent, and once your opponent's at, like, 8 life or whatever, dealing 2 damage to them and, like, rebuying a Snapcaster Mage that can, like, flash back a Lightning Bolt or whatever is, like, just going to Yeah, kill it's super important to get them to 6. I actually had that happen a ton over the course of the tournament. But at the same time, like, Colagun's Command plays well when your other cards are cheap because it's allowing you to get more equity out of those things. Like, it's allowing the game to develop more. Like, if you play spells out of your hand, it makes, like, the chances that you'll get a relevant card with the discard mode better. Or, like, that they'll put something into play, like, to counteract what you're doing. And then you can, like, shock their thing and get back your Snapcaster Mage and just, like, make the, you know, make the card even better. So, like, if you have a lot of, ex like, like, if you play more Kolagon's Commands, like, you're going to have, like, the repetition aspect of Kolagon's Command will, like, be facilitated in a super strong way. But, like, you won't have the early interaction that, like, opens up the gaps in their armor for the Kolagon's Command really to crush them. I wouldn't go above two in the main deck, though. One or two is both fine. Being, you know, being super comfortable with the deck 
and like Jerry does this a lot with, uh, and so he can definitely relate. Like, I add an electrolyze, which is like my way of adding a land. It's like adding a land for people who need training wheels. Like Jerry would have just added a land, but I'll just add <laughs> something that Probably. does two damage in cycles because like I'm convinced that I still need the crutch sometimes. Just adding something that can trip was a way to minimize variance, and that's why I did that instead of playing the second K command. Another four-minute answer to a 30-second question. I apologize. <laughs> it's fine. No, I dig it. Also, Electrolyze is, like, extremely good in some specific matchups, like Affinity or Infect or whatever. And you knew that you were going to be playing Andrew in the finals, so you added the Electrolyze, right? Yeah. Oh, man, you opened up another story avenue. The best part about Electrolyze is that I don't know if you guys checked out the tournament yet, but game one of the finals, I've stabilized against his four Glistener Elf draw at nine Infect. He has Glistener Elf in play and Noble Hierarch in three lands. I've got Felsnare in my hand, Manalik in my hand, Tassiger in play, and I just cast Serum Visions, and the top of my deck is like Electrolyze and Thought Scour to like fuel my Tassiger. So like the top of my deck is Electrolyze, and his board is like two one ones. I need to not die. I have Manalik, Spellsnare, and Tassiger. And he's got one Dismember in his deck. He already uses a Torsion Strike, and he just draws Dismember and kills me. I actually saw it in the backseat of Jerry's car uh, with Cedric Phillips. So, yeah. yeah, I did see that. With the one Electrolyze that's, like, going to break the game wide open, sitting on top of my deck, he hits his one-outer, like, a turn before I could hit my one-outer, and just, like, slams the door. So, yeah, it's just, like, one of those, like, freak things that happens, but pretty funny story about that. So my main question with this, like, I, I feel like I would build this deck in such a way where I could side out the Delver of Secrets because I feel like there are a lot of matchups where that card is just kind uh -huh. of pathetic. I definitely, I definitely agree that it helps against like the, you know, the Trons and Scapeshifts and stuff. But like, you got these four Ancestral Visions chilling in your sideboard. I kind of want to just make that swap probably more than well, I should. You just make that swap a lot. Like you're saying, you do that with a plan in mind. Oftentimes, you do swap out the Delvers for the, the Vision, but oftentimes, you just, like, put the Visions in and also leave the Delvers in. Like, I could see you doing that against, like, decks that have a late game, but also, like, have uh, problems with removal. So, like, a good deck. Like, I'd keep Delver and some number of Ancestrals in against Scapeshift. Whereas, like, and, like, something weird like Pox, I'd also have Delver and Ancestral in my deck. But, like, most of the time, you take so, Delver out and put Ancestral in. And I did that against Jeskai and was able to just grind them out. Because, like, while I have probably less threats than they have literal removal spells, like, they could kill literally everything I have. I can just, like, stop drawing lands after a certain point, whereas they, like, don't have as much control over their draws. I'm able to just do the, like, Snapcats or Colligans Command thing and just, like, wear them down. And, like, if you just build your deck to do that and, like, not flood out in the late game... Like, you're going to have a good shot against a 23 or 24 land deck that needs to resolve a 4-mana sorcery to put any sort of pressure on you. I mean, Nahiri, 4-mana sorcery speed spell, but whatever. Like, that's, that's the theory. Yeah. The thing about what you're saying that, like, I do understand is that, like, it's kind of weird to board out Delver and board in 4 Ancestrals and, like, try to play a draw-go-type game when you have 4 less lands in your deck than they do. And, like, that's kind of weird, but you just have to prioritize, like, you know, your cantrip super high and, like, keep land-heavy hands in post-board games, because, like, they're gonna, you know, respect mana leaks and remands and your sideboarded counter squalls, and, like, just not tap out, like, ridiculously. If they had four Gataxian probes, you probably can't do this anymore, but no one would ever do that, so, like, it doesn't matter. So Delver is a cuttable card, is basically what I was getting oh. at. Like, I didn't know if you were just like, nope, like, this, this card is super important, I need this in all my matchups, otherwise I can't kill my opponents. It's super important in game ones, because, like, there's some decks where you don't want lightning bolts anymore, either. 
So, like, in game ones, like, sure, they can kill your Delver, but they probably can't kill, like, the second or third one, or at least it gets in a couple points and, like, keeps your cards live. And then, like, in post-board games, you just cut them and do something else. Just, you know, do the typical Grixis thing where you're, like, dipping and ducking and kind of dancing around and just, like, keeping them a little off balance and doing some stuff that cheats on mana, like Tassiger and Colagun's Command loops. So, yeah, you do definitely, Delver's definitely cuttable. Okay, so if, if you had to kind of just rate your deck, like, 1 through 10, like, what do you, what do you think it would be? In the modern format in general, like for that weekend? Uh, j just like in general, I think, like going forward, you know, like is, is this a deck that you would recommend, like, or are you going to play it again if there was another modern open, uh, stuff like that? I would that? probably play it again. I, I really like it. I'd say it's a solid like seven and a half. It's like okay. a, just a little bit below tier one. But like, I was thinking the night before the event, as I registered the deck, about like the bad matchups. And I really don't think that there are a terrible amount of bad matchups. Like, I think... What, what do you think this deck's worst matchup is off the top of your head? Let's see if we line up. Dude, I don't know. There are so many decks in Modern. I could like I could say like Burn off the top of my head, but I, I'm sure that there is something that Merfolk is Merfolk and Ad Nauseam are the worst in my opinion. You know what? I, Merfolk has beaten the crap out of me before, so I, I can see it. Th this deck, like Merfolk beats the crap out of regular Grixis control, it just beats the crap out of this deck even worse because like you turn on every single Harbinger of the tides they draw, and it's just infuriating. And like they have Cavern of Souls too, so like you turn on their Harbingers, and then they don't turn on your Spell Snares, and then you just rot with Mana Leaks and Spell Snares in your hand while they bounce all your stuff over and over. I don't know about the Ad Nauseam matchup. You have man you have four Mana Leaks in your deck. That's just so outrageously good against it. Oh, yeah. It's great against it, but, like, the Ad Nauseam players I've played against have just, like, prioritized packs super high highly and just, like, spoils for packed and, like, stopped me from being able to stop them and, like... I've only played the matchup three times, but I lost to it every time, so it just felt pretty bad. Well, have uh, if, if you been looking at spoilers, Kevin? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I know every card spoiled so far, but it's close. Okay, so do you have a favorite so far? I know that there aren't a ton, but... Um, I like the 4-mana four 4-3 four, Angel. I guess it's it's Gisela the Broken Blade is the name of the card. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, that card's just really good. Oh, we gotta buy him. <laughs> Gary, we're um, screwing up. I know, I know. They they got put up on Star City for 15, and I was like, hell yeah, I'll snap this off at 15. But they sold out and got relisted at 20, and I was like, ooh, 20, I don't know. <laughs> and then earlier today it was 25, and now it's 30. And it was just like, okay, I probably messed you, up. You didn't buy into the hype, and you missed the boat, right? Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. I don't think I'm going to buy him at 30. I told Majors this today. My hope is that Gisela ends up not being good because of Reflector Mage and because, like, Gideon just kind of sits on top mm -hmm. of it, like... If you're in the market for a two-dub-dub -dub permanent, like, you're probably going to play Gideon over this. Uh, and then hopefully the price will go down. Then I can buy them. Then I can play with them. And I just think Jerry's wrong. I think Giselle is great and might be better than Gideon in a vacuum. So I really want to yeah. play and, against you, Michael, because my prices and grass are just going to kill kill that thing every time. Well, then we'll cast Bruna and get yeah. him back. Oh, oh, Bruna, you're dead. Combo. God, you're right. It's just good deck building. Man. Yeah, I guess so. So, Kevin, I... Uh, how much do you like the Uvenwald Mysteries part of the podcast? It seems great. You guys are, like, really good at it. I saw that you had it scheduled for me, and I was hoping that I'd be able to succeed at it or, like, at least, uh, you know, do okay at it. Okay, so so I got, I got two to three for you. We'll see how you do. Okay, first one. Why does Gideon bother carrying a shield? Oh, because, like, when he wakes up, he's just indestructible anyway. Like, why does he need a shield? I also feel like he's just always attacking. Maybe the shield makes him indestructible. That could be I guess it. it can ward off bounce spells, right? Like, bounce spells are good against Gideon. 
like maybe like a like a reflector mage. I don't know, man. Like throwing some some uh, disperse action at him, and he can like shield that. But he doesn't shield that. But he can't. He doesn't. <laughs> he just gets bounced. So it's truly an Uvenwald mystery, right? That that's the plan. Right. Yo, guys, I got this. Isn't the shield of Cauldra granting indestructible? Yeah. Boom. He's got the shield of Cauldra. I don't know if that's confirmed, yeah. That's like man. you never you're never supposed to cross planes, dude. Yeah, I just made. Well, he's a planeswalker, man. Oh, he's, he's a, a literal planeswalker. planeswalker. He oh, yeah, you're that. right. Justifiable behavior for a planeswalker. All right, I solved it. Nice. All right, number two. Why can a rated Mardu heart pierce piercer deal damage to a heartless <laughs> cadet Sugo? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't kill it, right? Because he's a four three, I think. That's it's a good. yeah, it's a four three. Four, three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I got nothing, dude. I, I was like, oh, they're gonna get me with these these ridiculous Uvenwald mysteries, and I'm gonna get so mad, and that's just exactly what happened. Yeah, so I, I sent Kevin the show notes, but I didn't have the questions in there because I didn't want him to think about the questions. I just wanted. I would have obsessed you know. over them too. I would have been like trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, how does one cast Phage the Untouchable without touching her? <laughs> Card sleeves, I guess, is the is the is the answer. Yeah, the I don't out, know. Like, right? are, are you still? It's like you can you can like touch someone on the shoulder. You're still touching them, even though they're wearing a shirt. <laughs> are are shirts like human card sleeves? That's deep. <laughs> I think it's about the same. thing. I just imagine know? everyone wearing like the green man suit from Always Sunny. It's just like a card sleeve for a person. If anybody Fair. knows what I'm talking about, like that's an awesome mental image. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I got you. <laughs> I don't know how you can do. How can you cast it without touching it? You could always. Does touching it means hands only? I, I mean, I, I guess like you just you just can't come into like physical contact with her. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know that it's possible. Uh, you could have like could use like one of those things from uh like people use to to get stuff off the top level at the supermarket like a, like a, like a claw a claw and you could just be like uh, this card's hot fire like i can't touch it and just like flip it off your deck and slam it down at your opponent with like your pincer claw thing i think moto might be an acceptable answer too oh that's just the answer uh that is the only time i've ever cast phage has been like in you know 10th edition draft or whatever so You've never okay. uh, made a phage with uh, Momir Basic on Moto? Lost the game? I've never, I've never played Momir. Yeah, don't, don't do that. And also, you're not casting her in that game, right? Or are you? And then you lose. What is the part of the show called where you, like, ask the questions about the other people? I thought I was going to do that, but I guess I'm not doing that. It, it is called The Game. Uh, it is it is my favorite part, but uh, I think Andrew has a question. Yeah, I have a question for Daddy regarding our mutual friend, <laughs> Big Dan Ward. Oh no! Are, are you are you familiar with Big Dan Ward? Of course. All right. So Big Dan Ward has called Michael Majors his nemesis, right? Yes, yes, yes. I know this. He he crushed so, him at GP New York. And, and in GPC. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't there for that one, but I was definitely there for the New York one. So a classic nemesis pairing is Ash Ketchum and Gary Oak. So from Dan's point of view, do you think he views himself as Ash or Gary Oak in regards to Michael? I was hoping you were going to say Brock because I just think Dan is Brock. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
Brock and, Brock and Ash were friends, I know, but though, Dan man. is just Brock. He's just like, oh, Kalidus. <laughs> or, oh, whatever. <laughs> black, white deck. Um, I feel like there's enough quirks to Ash's personality that Dan likely doesn't identify with Ash. So I'd say he thinks he's Gary Oak, because I guess Gary Oak is like a contrived representation of perfection, and Dan is a contrived representation of perfection. <laughs> wow. wow. That's very deep. That is that is a hell of a good so answer, man. he would be Gary Oak, and like he would just resent like Ash's hat the same way like he probably resents Majors' like perfect hair. <laughs> or like and, and, and random, random enchantments was was the thing that Dan was going on about. He's like he always beats me with random enchantments because he got him with Sphinx's tutelage. And oh, I did watch him. You crush him with Sphinx's tutelage because every time, like, I would go to an SCG and then Dan would go to a GP and then Dan would top eight a GP and be like, "You gotta go to the GP and play Black Red Dragons and stop playing Jeskai because <laughs> stupid and stubborn." And I'm just like. Man, I like you're my friend. I want to root for you, but every time you top eight, you're really mean to me. So like, I kind of just hope you don't top eight, and like that's a bad way to be with your friends. But like, I just kind of hope you don't top eight sometimes because it just brings out like this this Gyarados if we're around on on Pokemon theme. Like the, the monster comes out of your back and just like, just guys, terrible. Do what I say. <laughs> So, for, the, for the record, so, we do, all do, love Dan, and he's a great human. Oh, I hope he hears this. Uh, I, Kevin, I was going to ask, do you, do you know if he listens to the podcast or not? He said, I told him I was going to be on, and he said he's going to listen. So, like, oh, the, thing, the thing about this is, like, he won't actually feel bad about this. He's going to get, like, ego validation, which is, like, his favorite thing. So, like, the fact that we're talking about him at all will make him really happy. Great. Well, now I get to, to uh, kind of segue into having you talk about him some more where I think you have some things that you might want to plug, you know, like the weekly ward, Kirwan, stuff like that. So like, you know, t tell me all the things that you're doing basically. Okay. I'm doing, uh, I'm working at Ker at Kerwin's. Uh, we're in upstate New York, which is kind of far from all you guys, but you know, we got a pretty good community going on up there, but there's an online store and everything for anybody who wants to support that type of thing. Just KerwinsGameStore.com. They have like a, I think a TCG player store and like a crystal commerce thing where you can buy stuff right off the site. So we're doing a we do a show through the store every Wednesday afternoon at twelve thirty on Twitch Eastern Time. It's called the Weekly Ward because obviously Dan is in charge and decided that that was the name of the show, even though we're just both the hosts. <laughs> yeah, no, no ego involved there, man. It's all good. No, it's cool because his job is like to to host the show and to move along, and my job is to like go off on crazy tangents like I'm doing today, and like that's just kind of my niche. So, like, it's cool that it's named the Weekly Ward because it rhymes and it's catchy and cute. But, yeah, we've been, we've been uh, you know, ramping up in followers. We've done 26 episodes so far, which is kind of crazy because I feel like we just started a little while ago. Tomorrow we're going to go live and we're going to have a... Well, I mean, I'm re we're recording this on a Tuesday night, but probably won't hear it until, like, Thursday or Friday or whatever. But Wednesday when we go live, I'm going to have the trophy right on with me. So that'll be cool. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else? Any other plugs? Oh, yeah, it's... uh. Team MGG on Twitter is our team. Uh, Metagamegurus.com is our site where you can, currently it's live for submitting deck lists and, and subscribing and stuff like that. You can do that. There's a whole like, uh, like gold system, which is like a, like a coin type system where you can get a you know, product to use to spend on the site for uh, 
subscriptions or merch ultimately and stuff like that. So that's cool. I, I'm starting to, to do Twitter. I finally cracked 400 followers, which you guys are probably laughing at, but uh, that was a big day for big day for Daddy in that regard. Actually, I was just looking at Andrew's Twitter, and you have like twice as many followers as he does. Hey, he's got to come play an SCG tour event so they can give him a nice story arc. No, I mean Andrew and Michael have just basically started using Twitter too. Oh, okay. So. I was gonna say if if Andrew Brown wins this open, maybe he'll shave the rest of his head too, or does he still not have that haircut? It's it's uh, it's still there. Oh, that's an awesome haircut. It's cool though. People definitely like will recognize you and be like, that haircut is cool. But yeah, so that's basically what I'm doing. Working at, at the shop, traveling on the weekends to the SCG Tour events, and uh, I'm also writing weekly for the Kerwin store, so you can find those articles online. And I'm doing I'm doing the best I can uh, to get them out in a timely fashion because we got some uh, some bottlenecks in the editing department, but uh, I'm trying to get those up. So yeah, so look for that if if that's your type of thing. Word, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes so people can see it. Oh, awesome! And, I appreciate and, that. And readily find the daddy in all of his happenings. See him be just as ridiculous, if not more ridiculous, than he has been on this podcast. So. Yeah, I had I had an awesome time. I hope I hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely uh, tend to be long winded, and I'm gonna eventually be have a good podcast where I don't do too much of that. But I, I think I did okay. I don't know, man. I like it. We're we're over an hour. Some of that'll probably get edited down, but I liked it. I had a lot of fun, and yeah, uh, for for our first guest, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy that it was you, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. And I, you did a uh, awesome job of moving me along. And I apologize if you ask a question and it ended up like ending up as a story. That happens a lot. But that's I perfect. Also, stop, I, stop apologizing for being you, man. All right, you told me to do that. You told me that the other day. You were like, just stop being weird, man. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best advice I've ever had. And then. We talked about like that that watershed moment or whatever with like uh, Cedric and the Cavs and stuff, and you were like, "Oh no, nothing like that ever happened to me." And that made the article, which was sweet. Yeah, dude, that was that was a big part of the weekend. Question regarding the article, since I, I read it the other day, I have to ask you: When you said that you were sitting between two teenage girls reading Pretty Little Liars <laughs> and Twilight, was that attempted to? make it like a negative experience i wasn't sure the connotation of this it's just like was just like oh these are two things that very much do not interest me like i'm not in this person's sphere of life at all i i i edited that part so this is this is going to be like a whole other thing i guess but yeah so i wrote this article about my trip to orlando and basically my thoughts on that experience were that i felt like they like the airline should kind of screen for those sort of situations so they don't put a 30-year-old dude sitting in between two teenage girls because it's kind of weird and kind of creepy. And I it's super weird. Were did they like know each other? No. Uh-uh. They were just two random girls. It was like the the only two like 16-year-old girls who were just happened to be flying alone on this flight. <laughs> That's just like so bizarre that it happened that way. So yeah, my my response was like, dude, this this feels weird, right? Like I should definitely yeah. not be sitting here. But then it was just like, I, I don't know if I'm the one being weird, and then it's just like, you know, should should they feel unsafe just like around any sort of male that's older than them or whatever? And I just eventually didn't want to like get into it, so I just cut that. So I guess we'll just get into it on the podcast, you know? But yeah, for me, for me that was like kind of a negative experience, and I was just kind of like, what the hell is going on here? It could have been whatever whatever books. The books could have been anything. It was just basically like you saying that they were they were doing something that showed like how very different like you were from these people 
And like, it seemed a little bit of a short sight on like the airlines part that like, this was a situation that materialized so naturally. Cause like right. you could have been a creep and like, what are they going to do? Like, it's weird, right? Yeah. Like, I get that. That's a super interesting point that I didn't think of when I read it. That's crazy. I think the, the books that they were reading just kind of like hammered it home, you know, where yeah, it was just it's like, just okay, like, th- this is, this is how young these girls are. And this is how weird I feel right now. Yeah, just so. two, two very much like teen pop culture references that like cement, like your age as very different from their age. And like they're, uh, you know, what they're into is very different from what you're into. So like, it's a perfect reference actually. But I have a, I have a bit of a confession and a bit of a, a divulging right now. So <laughs> what's up, man? I made a sacrifice tonight. To be with you guys. What happened? Well, the season premiere of Pretty Little Liars was last week. And I was <laughs> glued to my television. And, like, this week was the second episode. And, like, there's going to be a lot of, like, you know, expository stuff. And, like, stuff going on in the show. And I needed to, like, get home from my softball game and, like, record with these three awesome Magic players. And, like, I'll catch it on Hulu. Thank God for Hulu. But, like... Yeah, I, I just missed my Pretty Little Liars episode to be with you guys. And I thought that if I just sandbagged this as long as possible and just slammed it down at the end, it would be the best possible way to do it. So I did it. I'm honored. Yeah, well done, man. Well done. I, I will say that I have seen the first season of that show. A lot of people stop watching because, like, the first season is decent. And then, like, you don't actually learn any more things for, like, four more seasons. And you're just like, why am I doing this? And people give up. But I don't know. I was hooked on it. It's a cool show. It's actually super underrated for, like, people outside of the, you know, 16 to 22-year-old girls, like, demographic, I guess. Outside of that demographic, like, it's still interesting enough. So, yeah, I don't know. I dig it. I'm plugging Pretty Little Liars. Word. Holla. (laughs) All right. So that's going to do it for us. Uh, Perfect thing to end on, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, I'm I'm Jerry Thompson at G3RRYT on Twitter. Andrew Brown is at... Merc underscore lurker. Michael Majors is at Michael J. Majors. And the daddy, Kevin Jones, is at KJ versus the highway. Yep. Uh, if you guys want to hear more Uvenwald mysteries, by all means, please tweet at us with that hashtag at the game podcast. And Kevin Jones, can I get like a like a high pitched, like daddy style that's game to end the podcast? That's game, daddy. Game. Blouses. <laughs> 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 <laughs>